want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode and all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes ad-free, head to our Patreon, patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room for $5 a month. You get all of our ad-free episodes, our video interviews, and our bonus episodes. See you there. I have seen, and most particularly I've seen in novels. And so I'm very, I'm very careful about the novels that I decide are, are worthy, quote unquote, worthy of review. Um, I don't think that, let's say there's four characters and one of them is gay, but is it, is that person's gayness really, really relevant to the plot or did the author decide, oh, I need to be a representative, so I'm going to have one gay person. Um, it's like, is this, you know, isn't there a, you know, a better novel out there waiting to be reviewed? LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? If so, the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the articles published in the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog, as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section. This allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GNLR, visit georeview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G and scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have questions, email me at stephen.hemrick at georeview.org. The GNLR can't wait to see what you have to say. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew, and I'm really excited because this is one of our special Gay and Lesbian Review interviews. Uh, so if you haven't listened back, you need to listen to Ignacio Darnad talk about breaking the gay code in art. Um, and then you need to make sure that uh, you listen to Dr. Vernon Rosario uh, talk about Queer science, being a psychiatrist, his LGBTQ plus work in that field. And yeah, the roots of homosexuality in the 19th century. But we're going to change our pace a little today since I have with me the very distinguished Martha E. Stone, who is the literary editor of the Gay and Lesbian Review. So we actually have someone from the Gay and Lesbian Review Um on the staff and who has been behind the scenes. And I'm so excited to be joined by Martha. She is responsible for selecting the Gay and Lesbian Review books um, that will actually be reviewed. So I should say the books that will make their way into the Gay and Lesbian Review. Uh, she's contributed basically to every issue, almost every issue. She has written a wide range of topics of book reviews, She's been there since the beginning. She's an original member of the Gay and Lesbian Reviews Board of Directors. Um, she also is part of the um, advisory committee of the History Project that documents LGBTQ Boston. And she's a retired research librarian from Massachusetts General Hospital. 
Ooh, okay. So, Martha, it's so wonderful to have you join me here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So, first, I just want to know, you've been here in the Gay and Lesbian Review since its foundation, its start. Um, what was it like in those early days of the Gay and Lesbian Review? Do you remember the seed of an idea that got planted? Well, actually, Richard Schneider is the... Um, founder of the magazine and uh, editor-in-chief, and it was, you know, all his doing. Um, I first encountered uh, what was then called the Harvard Gay and Lesbian Review, and we changed our name of our publication in 2000, I believe it was. Um, I originally encountered it at the long-gone uh, gay and lesbian bookstore in Copley Square in Boston called Glad Day. And I was fascinated to see it and had known nothing about it. I think it was around just after Thanksgiving of 1993 that I found it. And it said that you don't need to be a Harvard affiliate to write for it. And I was interested in getting published. I had had book reviews published, a few book reviews published in other uh, forums. Um, I got my library degree in 1990, and I had written, you know, for very, very small library-associated publications. And I just I just wanted to get my name out there. And I wrote a book review, and Richard liked it, and he published it. And as the years progressed, um, the masthead was being established. There were you know, different names. It was contributing editors and so on. And eventually um, there was uh, another um, literary editor. So I was co-literary editor and eventually I became the sole literary editor. But that was over, over the course of years. So why do you think it did center or originate in Copley Square in Harvard area? Like what was it about Boston, do you think, that just made oh, this a right place? Boston was a much different city then than it is now, much, much different. And the Glad Day Bookstore had actually started um, in downtown Boston. That was before I knew it, but they had a lot of, uh, I mean, that was when there was so much prejudice, uh, so much more prejudice than uh, there is now. And eventually the bookstore moved to Copley Square, right across from Boston Public Library. So, you know, a very, very central location. And um, Harvard had had, uh, from because I am not a Harvardian, uh, Harvard had um, gay and lesbian organizations going back quite a number of years. So um, the Harvard Gay and Lesbian Review actually started as a one-off uh, from the Harvard Gay and Lesbian Newsletter. And Richard just was able to take it uh, and keep on expanding it. And originally it was a quarterly and then uh, right around 2000 or thereabouts became a bi-monthly. Yeah, and just for everyone out there listening, quarterly would be right four times a year, bi-monthly. We're talking about every other month. Yes. Okay, okay. Just for anyone, especially for those who haven't yet subscribed to the Gay and Lesbian Review, which has a digital print too. So, you know, check out that link in our episode notes. That's a, you know, shameless plug, but that's my job here. Uh, so, Martha, what just fascinates me about this history is, like you were saying, Boston was a different city. Do you feel that it's lost in a way that LGBTQ plus grassroots, like having a bookstore? I mean, I've been to Boston recently for conferences, and I don't remember an LGBTQ plus bookstore or any of that kind of you know, representation? Like, do you think that Boston has just transformed into something else? Well, I, I'm I'm old. So I think the younger generation has different ideas about, you know, doing things. And the concept of a, you know, pop-up uh, club that, to the best of my knowledge, didn't exist in the 90s. Um, 
the uh, you know after after Glad Day um, had to move, it moved to um, near South Station in Boston and became a calamus and did great for a number of years until the owner John Mitzel died and things just kind of um, were not able to be uh, continuing. Of course, online has a great deal uh, of. You know, a great deal happened when so much went online. It is certainly very, very heartening that all of a sudden, at a cross country, there has been a great number of independent bookstores that have opened up. It's really quite, quite exciting. Um, there is, and I haven't visited it yet, so I, I don't, I can't tell you from you know personal experience, a lesbian uh, focused bookstore uh, in, I think, Assembly Square area of Somerville. Um, there may be others that, that are just not coming to mind, but it's a very different scene. And, um, you know, it's all like for better and for worse. Hi, this is Andrew, and I'm interrupting what I know is an enthralling interview because I want you all to know that we are sponsored by Broadview Press. And if you don't know, Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher who publishes books covering topics like English studies, writing, philosophy, history, gender studies. And every season on the podcast, I interview one of the Broadview Press authors. So for the fall, we had Ann Stevens on to talk about literary theory and criticism. She played a Wizard of Oz literary game with us. She talked about why Bridgerton actually involves literary theory. So does Fifty Shades of Grey. Who knew? Um, and also, we just had on Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote the first ever pop culture analysis book. So, you know, I am all things a lover of pop culture, especially my Hollywood topics, Real Housewives, the list goes on and on. And he also wrote the book called The Mad Scientist's Guide to Composition, where he's writing a book teaching students about how to write rhetorical strategies, but it's all around this metaphor of being in the mad scientist laboratory, because as you'll learn when you hear our episode with Jeffrey, he is a gothic and horror fanatic. And I mean that in all the best ways possible. So you don't want to miss Broadview Press's exclusive discount because you're listening to the podcast. All of you get an automatic 20% off Use the code Ivory Tower for 20% off site wide on all of their books. So, our in our show notes, we have a link to Broadview Press. Make sure you click the link, put in Ivory Tower, and you're going to get 20% off your order. So, enjoy your reading, everyone. Yeah, well, and it seems like in the 90s, when we're talking about the Gay and Lesbian Review really getting its footing and taking off with Richard spearheading as the editor, um, that a place that I was at recently, well, 2019 to 2020, I think it was, no, no, it was 2020, right before the pandemic, actually, was Salem and Salem has a very large LGBTQ plus presence. And I, I guess what we're seeing in metropolitan cities is the more suburban or these like communities right off the metropolitan areas have still that independent mm -hmm. route of LGBTQ plus presence, cafes, bookstores. But again, maybe it's because of the need for visibility for people to gather, mm -hmm. um, right? And Boston does have so much to offer. Like there's such, I'm from the Philly area. I always feel Boston, when I first went, reminded me so much of Philly, of the old city area of Philly. And you have all of the neighborhoods in the communities, but Philly does have Giovanni's room, 
Um, yes. Which is one it just it's still in existence and it's just such a beautiful um, historical place to visit for being there since the 1970s, I think. And I think Philly also has the um, William Way uh, community, gay community center, LGBT. Um, and they have, last I knew, uh, had a circulating library right there and an oh, enormous, yes. uh, enormous, enormous archives. Incredibly impressive place. Yeah. And I mean, I am on Long Island, so... New York City has all the center there and the Leslie yes. Loman. I mean, and Boston, mm -hmm. like we're saying, all of this exists, but because of the scarcity of when the Gay and Lesbian Review, I mean, we're talking about the 1990s. That's when I was born. Now I'm 30, but it's not that long ago. And no. <laughs> it is interesting, though, to see how much... LGBTQ plus literature has taken shape. And that's where I want to ask you, what was it like when you were first doing book reviews, like how those books made their way in front of your eyes? What was your process? And is it the same? Well, the process did change over the years. And it started out kind of waiting for publishers to send us books. And the co-literary editor, um, the late Alastair Williamson, was the person who would contact the publishers, have them send us books. Um, and he had worked for the uh, long since closed Allison Publications. So he was he was very familiar with the inside of, of publishing. Um, but I can speak to the somewhat more recent years when I became the sole uh, literary editor. And again, we get a lot of books uh, coming to us unsolicited, unsolicited from the publishers um, in the back before the, uh, well, Back, going back maybe a couple of decades, um, we used to get a tremendous number of catalogs from publishers. Uh, the numbers of catalogs coming in via U.S. mail is much smaller, and now we're getting catalogs online. I'm also contacted very, very frequently by um, publicists from large companies like, let's say, Simon & Schuster, and publishers of very, very small uh, imprints, uh, saying, well, you know, we've got this fabulous book and we want you to review it. And so, you know, uh, you make a decision, should I send away for it or should I not? Um, I can give you a very concrete example of a book that I'm very excited about. Um, it's published by University of Nebraska and their catalog came in either in the U.S. mail or it came in online. I frankly don't remember which. And I always, you know, flip through or do a keyword search for the appropriate uh, subjects. And I found a book just published called Henry James Framed, which is a biography of Henry James from the viewpoint of all the portraits that were painted of him over his lifetime. And it got a really, really fabulous review uh, in the issue that's upcoming. And I just uh, had uh, my library, actually, I asked them to buy a copy of it, and they did. And it, it's absolutely fascinating. There is no, and I have to put air quotes around this queer theory that's terribly hard to read. There is no queer theory in it. It's just this, you know, lively, lively work of writing. And we do review a lot of books from university presses, as this is just a brand new example of one of them. And it's very, very, very heartening when I send away, I find out about a book, I send away for it, it comes in because, you know, publishers don't always want to send their book when there's no guarantee of a review. Um, when we have our editorial meeting, I write a, you know, a precy about a little abstract. Um, then uh, our stable, quote unquote, our stable of reviewers gets a uh, newsletter in the form of a Word document with, you know, my little bit of information about the book. And then somebody chose to review it. And they did review it because sometimes, you know, things just don't happen. And um, 
that's just best case scenario. And it's always exciting and fulfilling when that happens. Yeah, well, you're talking to a queer theorist slash 19th century scholar here, so. Oh, I'm um, impressed. <laughs> no, well, again, I like to write excessive. Well, I feel that academia now, and I'm you're seeing this on the front line, Martha, is becoming very public scholarly in its language. And like, I've been trained to write for the general human humanities interested audience. And if an audience can't understand why I'm looking at same-sex desire with Whitman or Wilde, those are figures I work on, but um, any type of subject, you're really not going to have a grab your argument isn't going to reach the masses that it could so it excites me to see every time i get my gay and lesbian review magazine just the wide range i mean we're talking about memoirs academic publishers we're talking about um there's films that are reviewed there's festivals reviewed there's opera there's ballet musicals plays etc novels of course but like i'm just curious because you are in charge of getting all these reviews in what is that process like as the literary editor of soliciting the reviews like how do you find this network of who's going to review are they um authors usually or do they are they academics like who usually is reviewing well, we've had some writers who have written for us since the very beginning. For instance, Andrew Holleran, uh, the brilliant, brilliant Andrew Holleran, who um, writes extraordinary essay length book reviews um, or reviews of, of you know, theater or whatever uh, for virtually every issue. Um, we do have... Uh, quite quite a large number of people who can be relied on maybe uh, certainly not every issue but you know several times a year and as i say the uh, our our newsletter uh, about you know the books that we've amassed every two months does go out to them and uh people who are reviewers who would like to uh review for us they can go to our website which is glreview.org scroll down to the very very bottom that says uh writer's guidelines um and you can read all about how you know you can get your work in the magazine and uh, click on contact us if you want to you know get in touch but um richard is always the final say about everything um I might be kind of wishy-washy about a book and he might be really, really extremely keen on it. Well, that's fine. You know, that's wonderful. Um, and Richard also is the uh, final arbiter about, um, you know, what what actually is published in the magazine. Uh, he does all the final editing and so on. Yeah, well, thank you. Because so many who listen to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, Martha, they are young academics who are LGBTQ plus minded mm -hmm. in their work. There's a lot of authors who listen. There's playwrights who li listen. So you're you're speaking to a large ether of LGBTQ plus um, invested souls. So yeah. you might not physically see them in front of you, but they're there listening now. Um, and yes, the glreview.org. Um, I think that's one lesson that you've just exposed, I would say, but it's there, which is if you want to write a book review, you just have to reach out and ask, like, you know, that there is a whole process to do that. I think, is that a stereotype, Martha, that a lot assume there's a barrier of entry in a way of who writes book reviews that they think it's not a, attainable for them, if that makes sense. Well, you have, one has to have, um, one has to be pretty, um, a pretty good writer uh, mm -hmm. and or willing to edit uh, one's own work or perhaps rewrite one's own work. Um, 
it's not so common that we publish something that's just the very, very first draft. I mean, certainly occasionally it happens. Certainly it does. But um, unlike other magazines that basically print whatever somebody writes without anyone casting an eye on it, no, we're very, very, very hands on. And I think that someone can have the most brilliant ideas in the world, but if they can't express themselves clearly, if they are, if their grammar is really terrible, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And we don't uh, take, um, you know, unsolicited book reviews because you never know, oh, is this somebody's best friend who's, you know, book they're reading? Not a good plan. Um, but you know, uh, when uh, when someone looks at the website, sees the kind of articles we have, sees the kind of books that we re review, sees that, you know, we don't really review, like, let's say, genre fiction, which would be like science fiction, horror, uh, crime, romance. I mean, uh, over the course of decades, one or two might have infiltrated. So, uh, you know, this is nothing is ever, you know, 100%. But um, we really uh, steer very far away from a lot of those topics. And we absolutely do not review children's books. We do not review young adults. That's just not our mission, you know. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of authors I've interviewed who are genre fiction based to our LGBTQ plus, but like you're saying, it's not that you would never, it, a review of theirs would never appear, but like, what would you say is the genre that continuously every bi-monthly, not every month, but bi-monthly will make its way? Is there a certain theme you've found over oh, the years, yes. Martha? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, my personal favorite kinds of books to read on my, you know, on my own are um, memoir and autobiography. So you're going to see a fair amount of those. Um, we do review a lot of LGBT history and mm -hmm. fine arts. Um, I personally have uh, areas that I'm really, really keenly interested in. So if I find out there's, for instance, a new new book out there about you know Warhol and perhaps his crowd or his art something about Warhol oh yeah I'm going to send away for that uh, I'm very interested in the um, Bloomsbury crowd and uh, we recently published a review of a book called Young Bloomsbury like that the generation after Virginia Woolf um, which uh, was written by uh, one of the children of the Bloomsbury crowd. Um, and I had sent away for that. So that was really, really exciting for me to see that. But that falls squarely into the uh, history uh, memoir uh, area. Yeah, well, and something that has so excited me is just this proliferation of what is now considered LGBTQ plus literature. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about so many narratives that now exist that even within, I feel, five years, it's expanded so vast in mm -hmm. the reach of these stories that are told. Have you seen that? Like, what is some trajectory of... Well... These you know, what I have seen, and most particularly I've seen in novels, and so I'm very, I'm very careful about the novels that I decide are, are worthy, quote unquote, worthy of review. Um, I don't think that, let's say there's four characters, and one of them is gay, but is it is that person's gayness really, really relevant to the plot? Or did the author decide, oh, I need to be a representative, so I'm going to have one gay person. Um, it's like, is this, you know, isn't there a, you know, a better novel out there waiting to be reviewed? Hi, this is Andrew. So, you know, when I'm not here in the Ivory Tower boiler room, sometimes I'm actually invited to be on other podcasts as a guest. Well, there is one podcast run by Christian Garcia 
and um, his co-host, Nate, that I absolutely love. It is called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. So calling all you classic cinema fans out there and those who love queer theme cinema, which I think there's a lot of you who are listening right now where you've uh, perked up. So follow them on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. The first ever episode I was featured as a guest, it's The Sound of Music. I got to talk about being Captain Von Trapp in high school, and it's just such an exciting conversation. They've also featured discussions about Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, which features guests from uh, the podcast The Garland Gab and Down the Yellow Brick Pod. There is a deep dive of Cinderella, and recently they had an episode on the film Giant starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. And actually, one of the uh, guests, Lauren Randall, I know from Stony Brook University's PhD English department. So shout out, Lauren. Um, you can listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's definitely such a great listen. So why not listen to it after you listen to this current episode on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room? Hi, this is Andrew. So as some of you might know, I've been such a fan of the Gay and Lesbian Review bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and the popular art memo column, did you know we actually had two of the writers on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast, Ignacio Darnad and Vernon Rosario? So if you haven't, make sure you listen to those episodes. Each GNLR issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, Though, you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon, like Grindr, which I have some experience with, or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. Now, for a special offer. When you subscribe to the GNLR, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven instead of six. Visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot org. Click subscribe and enter promo code ITBR for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archived issues of the magazine. Enjoy your reading. Um. For instance, one of the books that I sent away for came in. I'm, I thought it's a novel covering an area that I hadn't seen written about called the Sea Elephant. S E A, not not sea. Um, written by a young uh, South Asian writer, and the the plot seems to be about a young man who runs away from home in India to join a theater troupe. And I thought, this is really, really interesting sounding. And, you know, when you look through a book to see that it's, you know, at least on the face of it seems to be, you know, decently put together, comes from a, you know, reputable publisher, whether a large or small publisher. And uh, it's the kind of thing that, that grabs my interest. Yeah, well, and I'm just taking a look right now at what's so exciting from, I mean, when this comes out, this is our spring season, but yeah, March, April, um, it just got published. And um, that issue, I mean, I can't wait to see what's coming in um, the May, June, because I always know that spring to summer, summer, for some reason, Martha, I find has some really captivating narratives that start to get published. Just the literature for the beach reads. I mean, there's some really interesting genres that are hit for beach reads. Like, are you already seeing some of what's to come in the summer? Well, you know, and this is a whole, this is a whole uh, kettle of fish here, but I am not keen on the concept of beach reads because to me, 
if you're really enjoying the heck out of a 800 page hardcover history of um, who knows what, and you want to be outdoors, take it to the beach, read it on the beach. You know, um, I don't believe that you should, if you don't enjoy light reading, there's no reason to, you know, have to have to have it just because it's the summer. Um, publishers have times of year when they like to send out more books than other times. And of course, um, June traditionally being Pride Month, the you know, there's more mm -hmm. books that come out at that time. And also around the winter holidays, there's more books that come out, which I think is is just a historical fact. But um, there's, uh, there's great books coming out every other day, really, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you're interested in a particular topic. Don't worry, people will be calling me up in June, too. I feel mm -hmm. like... I always say all my discussions and all my work is all LGBTQ plus related. But yeah, June has become, I mean, it's exciting the exposure of publicity and to celebrate the work we all do uh, as a community. But I always say Pride Month, just like Black History Month or any of the women's history, any themed month, um, it doesn't mean that that group is not still celebrating and empowering each other. So, you know, but I understand how it works in terms of publishers. I do have to say, but it must be so saturated, June. I mean, um, as everyone's listening to this, let's keep our eye out for, you know, what you start to see with what gets released in June. But Martha, I would think that it's actually hard for some LGBTQ plus authors to gain exposure in June because of how much is coming out. That's a really good point. Yes, yes. And um, people who, you know, you know, they've poured their heart and soul into this book and it comes in perhaps unsolicited and you really, really, really want to love it. But for a variety of reasons, it just, there's nothing about it that's appealing and it's just not going to make the list. And and we get stacks and stacks and stacks of books to consider. And every issue we can only review approximately, uh, let's say between 18 and 20 books. And that's in, that includes um, regular length reviews, brief reviews, and essay length reviews. And so you, you have to make some really difficult decisions. Yeah, well, I'm looking at some that were in the, I mean, as this is coming out, um, this episode, there is now the uh, May issue. Uh, so suspension of disbelief as we're recording, Martha. Uh, but there was some really exciting, like I'm seeing here, someone who I've loved the memoir that he wrote. Uh, he's Irish and gay, Sean Hewitt, right? Mm -hmm. Is his name? Okay. Um, but there was his work. And also you have Edmund White reviewing, yes. which is incredible. I mean, yes. talk about him, Andrew Holleran. Yes. These gay, these iconic authors yes, in their right. own right who also are reviewing. I mean- what are the conversations like with them? Like, do you? Well, that's something you have to ask Richard about because he's the person who has the conversations with the with these writers. Yeah. So, like, what is behind the scenes, Martha? Are you basically making sure everything is flowing together, that there's some kind of unified theme with these? No, I, I am extremely fortunate that I do not have to deal with any of that really difficult stuff. Um, Richard decides what themes um, and sometimes themes is very loosely construed, but you know, it, 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 it it's interesting, um, you know, to see what people want to write about. And he's the person who makes sure that, you know, everything comes in by deadline and uh, that it all fits together. So my yeah. my role, even though you know I uh, literary editor is a is a wonderful wonderful title to have, uh, it's very exciting for me. Um, 
my role is is smaller than what you might imagine with that title. Well, so you know when it's when you discuss that you're looking at what's currently what's coming out, like so you're in contact with publishers. Yes. Okay. So like that's good for the audience to know is you're the one who has direct communication with what's going to come out, right? And you can know about a book four months, five months. I mean, how long beforehand could you know about what's going to be published? Well, you know, different publishers have different lead times. But the thing is, with the way things are nowadays, anybody in the world can go onto Amazon, let's say, not mm. that I want to promote them, but they can, they can do an advanced search and they can see what's coming, what's scheduled at least to come up in a year or two. So um, it's not, uh, I, uh, it's not my private personal knowledge. It's just that, um, uh, you know, publicists want to get the word out about their books and, uh, I'm delighted to hear from them. Yeah, and, well, I say I, we do it. We do this right now as a, I told Martha, this is organic. I am now, yes, I know Amazon doesn't need our publicity, but again, support your independent bookstores uh, yes, when, you you're buying, <laughs> when you're buying the books. But for this search, um, search term, uh, experiment that I'm doing, Martha, just to explain what you're, to put it into practice, right? If I just put in LGBTQ literature and fiction as a category, I can see, you know, what's going to be coming out within the next, say, year in a way. Um, or wait, there's actually a section that says coming soon. Okay, so um, yeah, everything I see, uh, so many texts coming up. Uh, and the thing you know, is, of yeah. course, there's a lot of really um, stuff we would never, ever dream of reviewing that's listed in Amazon. A lot of really uh, inappropriate for us kind of stuff. And there are books coming out that just happen not to be listed in Amazon. That's just the way it is. And that's why, you know, direct contact with publishers is really important. And there are... Um, we are not limited in any way to U.S. publishers. We publish books from Canadian, pub excuse me, we review books from Canadian publishers, um, British and Irish publishers and so on. And and I try uh, my person, I have a lot of personal interest in um, books that are published in Canada. So I try and get uh, you know, notice for Canadian writers. And I'm also very interested in um, books in translation. And it's, it's when you read in the New York Times about what a tough sell um, translated books are, and, and so much it is, is, a, you know, it's a labor of love on the part of the translators. And if I find out about LGBT uh, books in translation, oh, I, I think, you know, I want to get my hands on those. And in fact, there was a book that I just reviewed um, by a Danish writer named uh, Steen Tilgard. Um, and Steen is Christine, but she goes by Steen. Um, and it's called My Mother Says. And I didn't have any expectations about this book, though it comes from a very good publisher. But this is a delightful book. It's a novel um, about a young lesbian who is bereft because her partner is wants to start a family and the the young the younger woman does not and it's just it hangs together really well the um it's a lot of uh, you know funny stuff in it there's a lot of serious serious stuff in it but it just is a wow i didn't know about this book i wouldn't have known but i i had sent away for it came in and you know this is this is really great well, so are you the person who decides what will be reviewed? Like you have that say of well, what will I, make I, its way. I <laughs> do. Um, 
I do recommend and suggest for sure. Um, but Richard is the final say as the um as the editor in chief, which is the way it, it should be. But um, you know, if I send away for something, it comes in, I look at it, yes, it's just as good as I had hoped. You know, um, let's hope that a potential reviewer feels the same way. Uh, and of course, your stuff I sent away for that I have very high hopes for, but for some reason or other, we just don't happen to get the book because maybe the publisher uh, doesn't have enough copies to send out review books when there's no guarantee of a review. So um, I like to think that I am able to introduce um, LGBT books in this venue to people who might not otherwise know about them. Mm -hmm. Well, and how much does public perception play a role, do you think, in just what gets talked about or like that desire for reviewing? I mean, you mentioned earlier about so-and-so say um, a book is getting early buzz. Like there's already been the Kirkus reviews, the New York Times review says, you know, anticipated release. Does that play a role in maybe a topic that you might not have been as interested in personally, but now you know it's a book that's going to generate a lot of buzz for the gay and lesbian review readers. I know. I know. Um, books that are buzzworthy may not really be ones that we want to review. They may be just too, I hate to say fluffy, but they may be just a little too fluffy for us. Um, on the other hand, if they're written by an author that, you know, we know is really good, um, that an author's track record has a lot to do, a lot to do with this. Um, or a particular publisher that we know, whether academic or not, or, you know, just a maybe a small quality imprint. It's like, oh, yeah, this small quality imprint. Well, you know, let me think seriously about this book. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff out there that you know, if they're being reviewed by all these other mainstream outlets, maybe we won't feel guilty if we give it a pass. I see it because they've gotten their due. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but... and as I say, with room only for 18 or so reviews and every issue, you know, it's it's, you know, there is a certain, you know, box, so to speak, that you have to put these into. Yeah. Well, another question I have is just about the audience you've seen of the Gay and Lesbian Review in terms of the age range. Do you find that, like, say, my millennial generation and even, like, the Gen Zers younger than me, like those in their 20s, 30s, that we've been so exposed to LGBTQ literature and might have more of a preference for say genre fiction or poetry. Um, I'm even thinking of Ocean Viang and there's been just some amazing Richie Hoffman who was on our podcast here. Um, and is that, have you seen that there's been a different wave in a way of what the gay and lesbian review the readers are starting to consume because I'm sure they turn to your reviews and they use it as a certain book club, right? Like something that Andrew Holleran reviews. Oh, I should read that as well. Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and cre-cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. 
Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It, Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, and order today. Yes. Well, I can tell you um, a couple of things. One is that we do review um, books of poetry, not every issue, but we often do review poetry and we do publish um, poetry. Uh, and uh, again, glreview.org, scroll down to the very bottom uh, and you'll and you'll see information, you know, writer's guidelines and it, t- it talks about poetry. Um and there is a writer, he's an academic named, uh, he's Mexican-American, Rigoberto Gonzalez, and he writes poetry and memoirs, and um, I'm particularly fond of his memoirs because he, he takes a family member and they're kind of like the lens through which he writes a memoir. So he might write a number of memoirs, but they're all very, very different because it is through this particular family member that he's writing it. Um, Abuela in Shadow, Abuela in Light is his most recent. He's writing through his grandmother. So that that's an example there. Um, I... I certainly am very, very aware of the, let's say, stereotype of the um, GNLR reader who's, let's say, um, an older gay man. Um, I'm also, you know, ecstatic to know that younger people are reading really, really ecstatic. Um, You know, over the decades and pre-pandemic, I'd go to parties, I'd talk about the magazine, and there'd be people who had never heard of it. And that really, you know, shocked and horrified me. And and so, you know, I always work to, you know, try to get the word out in a very, very informal setting. Um, I think that there's certainly room out there if, um, you know, people want to start up their own magazines. Absolutely. Go for it. Um, whether uh, in print or online or a hybrid. Um I now I don't remember what else you asked. Well, because and I, intersect old dinosaurs. <laughs> no, no, no. But also, what I think is wonderful, um, what we're building here, Martha, is the ivory tower boiler room. Why I started this podcast is so many millennials and Gen Z and even like Gen X. We've all turned really to podcasts. In addition to those older, they're not older, but It's complimentary to say the Gay and Lesbian Review with its LGBTQ focus of a print magazine, but now it's also a digital magazine that a a podcast discussion would then um, convince you or get your attention on, oh, something like the Gay and Lesbian Review exists. Like I should put this on my list of what to read after I'm listening or I'll browse their website. Oh, there's all the book reviews are online and I can just subscribe and mm-hmm. right. Digital editions have become so popular. And what I think is exciting is that we're doing very similar work, which is why I love that the Gay and Lesbian Review is a podcast sponsor, but also something that I am committed to is making sure that these models exist together, right? Like it's a kind of new territory of suturing, suturing together these models. And I know so many come to my podcast and use it as a book club. And that's what I do with the Gay and Lesbian Review is there's so much that I'm now keyed in and tuned in um maybe not keyed in but i'm tuned and honing in on say 
Jack Parlett's work, who then I found Jack Parlett from the Gay and Lesbian Review, who wrote all about uh, Fire Island, was that and the poetics of cruising. But then I used his work in my dissertation and then I had him on the podcast. And like now we've established a friendship together. So like you really have built a network. And that's what's exciting is to see that all of these writers are accessible. Like you can reach out to them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, what do you hear from readers? Because that must be exciting to learn about the audience of the Gay and Lesbian Review. Like, do you have a chance to learn who's reading these book well, reviews? Um, we do have, you know, a letters to the editor, uh, but let's say, you know, personal friends of mine who are subscribers certainly may tell me, uh, uh, you know, their feelings about a book or how excited they were to see a book reviewed. But, you know, the general subscribership out there, you know, I personally don't know um you know how they're feeling about things i really don't i'm uh but that's that's kind of to be expected you know um and i am a very 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 print-based person i have to say um and i am that person who gets the new york times delivered to my front door, you know, that, that kind of thing. And yes, I've got the digital subscription. Yes. You know, but, um, so the way I look at things sometimes can be different from, from the way other people are, are thinking of things, but, you know, when you said, uh, or to, to paraphrase you being taken on tangents, that's a really ultra important thing to be saying because so often I read something and maybe there is reference to somebody I haven't heard of or haven't thought about it in a long time. And yes, I Google them. Yes, I Wikipedia them. And oh, that person has some great sounding books that I want to read. And maybe there's something new out there. And, and it just kind of snowballs. Yeah, well, if it's the Gay and Lesbian Review, the New York Times Review of Books, I usually have them together with me. Um, then there's Book Page. I don't know if you know of that magazine. Um, but it's in libraries. It's like usually used for library, um, for public libraries and their um, readers um, uh -huh. of like what's going to be newly acquired. Oh yes, and, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. And I'll have all three of them. I'll have a pen with me, and then I start making marginalia notes. Like, oh, this one add to your cart from the library. Oh, this one order. This one try to get the audio book. So oh, yes. sometimes I'm like drawing a bubble bath as I do all this because it's such like a relaxing task. <laughs> and and I think that um, it's it's almost a secret sometimes that um, you can ask your public library to purchase a new book and chances are excellent, not 100%, but excellent that they will buy it. And if a book is more than a year old and they don't have it, you can ask them to get it for you on interlibrary loan, which is usually free or extremely nominal. And they'll do that too. You don't have to feel that you have to purchase. I mean, it's yeah. wonderful to support your independent bookstore, but you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, I'm as grateful as I know you are. I get digital books. I mean, there's an, a lot of now um arcs they call them right you know that term but i get like the digital arc sent to me and if i want a print version mm -hmm. i get it if i'm going to interview that writer and but there's only so much room i mean everyone always sees my background of books and that's only half <laughs> of what's happening in this apartment um but i love my library i mean i love my long island public libraries court jefferson is the one i belong to but I'm such a huge fan of libraries and they all exist to me, bookstores, libraries, magazines, these all can coexist. Like yes. one is not competing over the other. And I think, that's right. Right. And I think some people feel they only have to buy that. They should only buy their books from bookstores, but that also limits your exploration, right? Like what mm -hmm. I love about a library is it's a taste. Like sometimes I just want to read and skim a little to see what is this book about mm -hmm. and then i don't feel 
upset if I return it. Like, it's like, okay, well, you know what? That wasn't for me. Um, but this has just been wonderful, Martha. I mean, what are you, as we're wrapping up, what are you excited about? Like, what's, it doesn't have to be, say, specific books, but are there certain themes that you're just really eager for the Gay and Lesbian Review readers to see in upcoming issues, or even maybe something from the recent March and April issue that you're just happy is being covered now? Well, I would like to go back even further than the current issue to maybe one year ago, um, which would have a, a chance for these books to be in libraries or it, perhaps in paperback. Um, by chance, and it's such a, a odd, odd coincidence, I discovered two memoirs by two members of the LGBTQ Cambodian American community. And one is a memoir by a young man called, whose name is Marfin Chan. And the book is called uh, Moon in Full. Uh, he was born in the U.S. of a mother who had, you know, escaped the killing fields in Cambodia. He had a very, very, very tough, tough, tough childhood. He ended up in foster care and then um, adopted kind of informally in Maine in an extremely conservative community. And he's an openly gay man now. He's very involved in um city politics in Portland, Maine. And this book was absolutely fascinating. And the other book uh, is called Ma and Me, Ma as in, you know, Ma for mother. Uh, and the author is uh, was actually born in Cambodia and she came to the US uh, as a very, very young child. And her name is Putsana Riong. And she went to journalism school and she's got the terrific journalism career. Um, both of these books I sent away for from the publisher because I found out about them. And uh, I happened, but just by chance, I'm the person who reviewed them both. And when I can't put a book down, you know that I'm going to give it um, a really good review. And these were both really, really exciting books for me because it certainly gave me, um, it gave me entree into worlds that I never, ever would have known anything about. And um, so I, I was really delighted to discover these. Yeah, well, you are a tastemaker in this literary field, as is Richard, as is Stephen, right? Anyone who's listening, right? now is a tastemaker in my opinion that's why i think my last question has to be martha what is that feeling you get we all know that goosebump feeling of when you are with a book or any art what does it feel like when you know you've discovered something that resonates with you as a reader how does it feel I, I it's it's a delightful feeling and I want to talk to my friends about it because it's like oh this is a great book I want you to read it um they may not always agree with my taste but you know I get to talk about what I enjoy I get to write about what I enjoy I am really delighted to promote the writing of uh, authors who I believe should get bigger notice yeah. And you start a conversation, right? That's what you're saying here is. Yeah. And then people start learning about these Cambodian writers or topics that they didn't think would go existed, right? That it wasn't in their zeitgeist. It wasn't on the tip of their tongue, but now it is. And then it ricochets. That's what's so exciting about art is it's all about starting that conversation that isn't in the universe like it's in the universe but it's not um trying to think of a good metaphor it's not being spread around like you can't see the particles like you want to see the actual particles in the air i hope that makes sense a rainbow of particles i don't know there's some kind of rainbow metaphor i could have done but <laughs> this has been so wonderful martha and I can't wait to see what comes out in this spring to summer issues. Um, maybe I'll reach out and let you know which books you've reviewed that I have on my list. 
Well, and, I'd be delighted to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everyone out there, definitely go to glreview.org. You've learned from Martha how you yourself can become a book reviewer, that there's a process for you if you want to do that. Um, there's a way also to make sure you subscribe to the GL Review. And there's actually a discount code for um, anyone who's listening right now, you get a free issue of the magazine when you subscribe. Um, let me just make sure. It should be um, use the code Ivory ITBR. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So just use the code ITBR. And yeah, I think, oh, make sure you follow the Gay and Lesbian Review on Instagram. It's the GL Review and Facebook. There's a big presence with Gay and Lesbian Review. I think we've hit it all, Martha. Well, I hope that we continue definitely our conversation. Maybe I'll have you on every, I'll talk to Richard and Steven and we should have you on. Maybe they'll join you too next time. Like every few months we check in with the Gay and Lesbian Review team to see what's what's coming in the future. <laughs> that sounds very exciting. And I'm really, really um, delighted and uh, grateful that you asked me to um, stop in. Of course. Well, and thank you for being on a podcast. <laughs> you know, now you can say you've done it. You've, yes. you know, put yourself out there in this way. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. Excuse me. Thank you, Martha. And thanks to everyone listening. Just, you know, Make sure you had your pens ready taking down all of these book titles. Okay. Thanks, Martha. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I want you all to follow us on social media because there's so many video clips that we share and so many photos about these episodes. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. Follow our Facebook page, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. For $5 a month, you get ad-free episodes, our video interviews, the True Crime and Academia bonus episodes, and all Ivory Tower Boiler Room bonus episodes. Thanks for buying a coffee for me. And thanks to an amazing team. Thanks, Mary. She's our chief contributor. And thanks to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room spring interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Sarah, Sheila, and Rosie. See you all again in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room.